We are continuing uh, our journey through Exodus, and I will be reading Exodus 5. Let me give you a moment to find that if you'd like to follow along. Exodus 5, and I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is this Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. Moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three-day journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens? The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen. You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, Let us go back to offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it, and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task, each day as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten. But the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, Let us go sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no, mind, by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. 
The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. All right, thanks, Lloyd. <clears throat> well, um, some of you might have come in and you felt a bit warm when you entered the sanctuary, and you should know that's conviction of sin. You, you should repent. Um, either that or we're having some issues with our AC. Um, we, we upgraded the technology, so that means we can control it from our phones. It might or might not work, but we can control it from our phones. So that's cool. Now, we'll have that fixed next week. Sorry about that. I think the fan's running, so it might be cooling off slightly, and I see a lot of fans going. So I feel like we're kind of old school here. So um, we don't have a half fan. We, we don't have bulletins. That's probably why people had bulletins to begin with, to fan themselves. But anyway, whatever you need to do to make it. Um, there is a political concept known as uh, sphere sovereignty. It was formulated by the Dutch prime minister uh, and theologian Abraham Kuyper. The, the idea is that there's certain spheres of sovereignty or areas of authority. Uh, for example, the, the state has authority, and so they set maybe things like speed limits, things like that. Uh, that The family has authority, so parents have authority over their children. Uh, and the church has authority, what's required for membership, or what would disqualify someone from membership. Um, and, and sometimes those lines might might be blend or be blurred. Uh, the, the state, uh, or, or they can't be crossed, I should say. The state cannot regulate what we uh, teach at church. They can't come in and say, no, you can't teach on Exodus. Uh, and parents have, have authority over their children, uh, but it's not granted to all uh, parents over all children everywhere. And as elders, we have a measure of, of authority uh, over church members. But there's there's some things that, that we can't do. Like if I were to declare, uh, hey, every night for everyone at Redeemer Church is, uh, every Tuesday is Taco Tuesday. That's what you must have at your house. I, I don't have authority to, to set the menu at anyone's house. So that would be good and right. I would be overstepping my, my bounds of authority. And so, so, so let's say I were to say, hey, you, you know, person at Redeemer Church, I'm telling you as your pastor, who you're supposed to submit to, to have tacos on Tuesday. Should you have tacos on Tuesday then? Or let's say that the, the governor of Oregon comes to Mississippi and tells you that you owe taxes for the state of Oregon. And he says, Roman, you're a Christian, Romans 13, submit to governing authority and pay taxes. Should you pay taxes to the governor of Oregon, because he says you should submit to governing authorities and pay taxes. And he cites Romans 13. So I would say you would not be required to have tacos on Tuesday, no matter how right it is to do so. Uh, you wouldn't have to pay taxes to Oregon, because those who, who are in authority have overstepped their authority, and that authority is therefore illegitimate. And so you don't have to follow it. It's outside of their sphere of sovereignty or their area of authority. And some of you, if I gave the command to have tacos on Tuesday, and you happen to by chance be planning to have tacos on Tuesday, you would change that just to prove the point that I've overstepped my bounds and that you don't have to do so. You don't want to legitimize illegitimate authority. And so, so over the last six months with COVID and all this, this has become more and more of an issue, right? Of, of, of what can the government do and regulate? What, what, is, what can they do and what can't they do? What's too far? Uh, when does Romans 13 no longer apply because the authority has become illegitimate? And so, so, so this is what, in a sense, is happening in our passage today. It's a bit flipped because it's Pharaoh and the Lord, right? So, so Moses tells Pharaoh that the Lord says, let my people go. And Pharaoh understandably says, 
well, who is the Lord that I should let Israel go? In other words, the, the Lord is outside of his fear of sovereignty. I'm, I'm the sovereign one when it comes to Egypt. Pharaoh says, I don't know this Lord, and he has no authority over me that I should listen to his voice. So in response, Pharaoh does not only not allow them to leave, but he increases their burden. And so they're going to have to make the same number of bricks, but they're going to have to collect their own straw. So he increases the burden. And so what I want to do today with our text is I want to consider two things. One, the question that Pharaoh asked, and two, the problem that Israel has. So first, the question that Pharaoh asked. So Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh. They say, let my people go. And Pharaoh responds in in verse two, and he says, but Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. And look, it might not seem like it, but that verse sets up the entire book of Exodus. And I'll even go a step further. That verse sets up the entire Bible. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Who is the Lord that he should interfere with my life? And it's a question that should bring you to a crossroad in your life. And I would go so far to say, if you have not come to that point, then you're, you're, you're probably a shallow Christian. I know that's bold and it sounds like a, a mean statement, but here's the thing. We live in Mississippi. The, the culture is generally Christian. If any of you would have t- decided to not be a Christian, that would have been a bold move, right? Like you can kind of be a Christian and not live like a Christian and probably in reality aren't a Christian, but you would have had to make a bold decision to be like, oh, no, I'm not. And so, so there's a sense where we can become almost inoculated to the things of God, assuming that we are a part of the people of God, and we don't come to this crossroad type of question Who is the Lord that I should obey him? And some of us, no doubt, have have considered that question deeply, been crushed by it, and God, through the work of Christ and the help of the Holy Spirit, is remaking you new. So, So Pharaoh asked, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? And as we all know, Pharaoh's about to find out who the Lord is. And you should notice when we're talking about the Lord here, it's in all caps. Do y'all remember from two weeks ago, we talked about what, what is the Lord's name? And the Lord's name is I am who I am. It's Yahweh. That's the Lord's, that's, that's God's proper name. The God who is simply there. The, the God that we can't impose our ideas of God upon. The, the God that is revealed in the scriptures, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not the God that we just make up. So so when we're talking about the God of the Bible, when we're talking about Yahweh, we're not just talking about a positive and encouraging God. We're not just talking about a K-Love God. I love K-Love. I hope everybody listens to K-Love a lot. In the next 10 minutes, you're going to think I don't like it. I love K-Love. Hear me say that. Everybody's got that. You should listen to more K-Love, I'm sure. But if if you have a a K-Love-only view of God, uh, and only a positive, encouraging view of God, then you have a very low view of God because you don't have Yahweh who sent plagues to Egypt. You don't have Yahweh who killed the firstborn of Egypt. You don't have the Yahweh that not only miraculously parted the Red Sea for Israel to pass through, you don't have the Yahweh that had it crush the Egyptian armies. You understand what I'm saying? So I'm talking about the God who is terrifying to his enemies on earth, I'm talking about Yahweh. 
In Exodus 15, 3, after the, the Red Sea collapses on the Egyptian army, they sing this, the Lord is a man of war. That's Yahweh. Yahweh is a man of war. Yahweh is his name. Your God, our God, is a man of war. He crushes his enemy. He sends plagues. He kills people. Do you think about God that way? Because you should. It's what the Bible teaches about who God is. And, and some might think, well, Kevin, we're, we're just the intense part of the Old Testament. Jesus kind of smoothed things over, right? Well, do you know about the rider on the white horse in Revelation 19? Turn to Revelation 19, and we're going to read a description about who Jesus is. And remember from two weeks ago, Jesus is Yahweh. Yahweh is a man of war. And we're going to read a description of Jesus in Revelation 19, verse 11 through 16. Revelation 19, verse 11 through 16. It says this, starting in verse 11, chapter 19. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. That's Jesus. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. You have a picture of Jesus in a robe dipped in blood, with an army on a, riding a white horse, with an army of angels on white horses behind him. Verse 15, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which he strikes down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings, Lord of lords. That's our God. That's Jesus. That is Yahweh. And again, I love Caleb. But if your only view of God is the positive and encouraging God, then you don't know Yahweh. You don't know this Jesus who's riding on the white horse, who kills and makes war, who's clothed in a bloody robe, armed with an army behind him, who will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. So who is the Lord, says Pharaoh? Well, buddy, buckle up. You're about to find out. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Pharaoh is about to find out in the coming weeks, we will see more and more who the Lord is. Now, secondly, I want to consider this, the problem that Israel has. So Moses tells Pharaoh that the Lord is telling him to let his people go. And rather than just saying no, Pharaoh says, heck no, right? He's not going to do it. And he's going to even increase their burden. So look at Exodus chapter five, verse five through nine. This is Pharaoh's response to uh, Moses' request or him telling him that the Lord said, let my people go. Moses says this, Exodus 5, starting in verse 5. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded that the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work 
be laid on the men that their labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So Pharaoh gives Israel a heavier burden. And you can imagine how the people of Israel felt about this, right? Thanks, Moses. Good job. You're really coming in here and saving the day. You just made life. It was bad already, and now you've made it unbearable. So they have to make the same number of bricks. They don't have the resources to do it, and they end up getting beaten for not doing what they obviously could not do. So the people become understandably mad at Moses and Aaron. And then Moses says this in chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. Moses says, Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. God called Moses to go to Egypt to help Israel. In a sense, Moses is like a missionary, right? God called him to go to another place to help his people. And how did it go for Moses? It went poorly. The locals hated him. And what made it even worse, the people he was there to help hated him. So you can understand why Moses says what he says at the end of chapter 5. Why have you done this, God? Why did you send me? Things have not gotten better. They've only gotten worse. Or as he says it, you have not delivered your people at all. And haven't you been there? Like, Lord, why are you doing this? I'm trying to do a good thing here, and it seems like you're working against me. I'm trying to serve and obey, and it it seems like things are just going poorly. Things are going bad. And is that what obedience to God is supposed to look like, that you try to obey God and things go bad? Let me say this. Kinda. 2 Timothy 2, verse 12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you read through the Bible, you will consistently see God's people struggling. And their struggle, more times than not, is clouded in mystery. Why is this happening? What is God doing? Abraham was supposed to be the father of a new nation, God's nation, God's people, but he and his wife could not have children. It seemed like something that would be very easy for God to do, he was withholding from them. David was supposed to be king. He got the call at an early age, and then he was on the run from King Saul for a long time. And then there's Job. You know, if anything, Job suffered because he was a good guy, not because he was a a bad guy. And most of the book of Job is is Job and and his friends unable to figure out why he is suffering, like it is for so many of us who have suffered. Why is this happening? And the answer comes back, just silence. Most of the prophets in the Old Testament read about, most of them were killed. Eleven of the twelve apostles died as martyrs. Paul was beheaded in Rome. Hebrews 11, the the, the famous hall of faith, that's not a chapter about a bunch of people whose life worked out, right? It it ends poorly for a lot of these people. And and Jesus, the, the man of sorrows who ultimately suffered and died the death of a criminal for our sake, the night before his death in the garden prayed this, My father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to do this. And so in a fallen, pre-redeemed world, God's people who are obeying God are going to struggle. And more times than not, it will be clouded in mystery. 
So why is your life so hard right now? My answer to that is I don't know. And will things get better? Maybe, maybe not. But we can assume that God's purposes that we cannot see are being accomplished and that those purposes are good. We can assume for those of you who love God and are called according to his purposes that somehow all these things are working together for good. And I'll be honest, when I read this story about Israel having to make you know, more bricks with less straw and all that, I have some compassion, but not much compassion. You know why I don't have all that much compassion? I know the story, and y'all do too. Like, like this is a speed bump on the way out of Egypt, right? This is almost setting the context for how it's, how it's going to all end up. And so the, the, the book is called Exodus. The book isn't called Enslaved, right? This is a story about God delivering and redeeming his people. And in a similar way, you might feel like your life is defined by your struggle. But, but in the end, for eternity, the dominant theme of your life, your time on earth, will not be struggling and suffering and confused. The dominant theme of your life, when you look back, will be redeemed of all the struggling and all the suffering and all the confusion. In the end, it is redemption that will define your whole time on earth. And look, if we had a time machine where we could travel back to this moment where Israel's struggling, right? So, so they have to make, you know, all these bricks. They're not, they don't have the resources to make the bricks. So how would you encourage them? If you had a time machine, you go back and you're talking, you see these Israelites and they're having to make more bricks and they don't have the resources, they're getting beaten. How would you encourage them in this moment? We'd all probably say something similar and it would probably be something like this. Hang in there. This is a speed bump on the way out. God is doing something that you cannot see right now. And this is part of something much bigger. We're going to be talking about this 2,000 years from now. God is, God is doing something bigger than you have eyes to see. And how about this? What if one million years from now, in the future, what if the future glorified version of you could come back and talk to the current you? What kind of encouragement would you a million years from now, glorified in that state, what, what kind of encouragement would the future version of you give the current you? Probably something similar. Hang in there. This will pass. God is doing something bigger that you cannot see right now. This is a part of something bigger, and it's good. You'll ultimately be glad at what God is doing. So this is a call for us to persevere in the midst of mystery, in the midst of confusion, when, seems, when, when things seem to be going worse for us being obedient to God. But we can do that with confidence that God is at work, and in the end, we will be glad with what he is doing. Now, now let me circle back to the beginning, this idea of the uh, spheres of sovereignty, the areas of authority that are given to people. There are lines that, that cannot be crossed, Right? And so when Pharaoh asks, who is the Lord, he is saying that, that, that there is authority, that this, some intruder is coming in and betraying his line of authority. But when Pharaoh is asking this, he's asking this about Yahweh. He is the authority that all other authorities are under. If we're talking about spheres, there's one big sphere 
that every other sphere of authority goes into, and it's God. He is the ultimate authority, and no lines prohibit him in the world and in your life. Because he made the world and everything in it, he is the ultimate authority. Therefore, he can ask of anyone what he wants to ask of them. He can ask you whatever he chooses to ask of you, and he can do with you whatever he chooses to do with you, regardless of what he's doing with other people. It's not going to be even all the way around. Consider Isaiah chapter 64, verse 8. It says this, But now, O Lord, you are our father, we are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. The potter gets to decide what he does with the clay. The clay is in the sphere of the potter's sovereignty. God gets to decide what he does with you. God gets to decide what he does with us. We are in the sphere of God's sovereignty. He can ask of us whatever he wants to ask of us, and he can do with us whatever it is he'd like to do with us. And, and because the theme of the book we're studying is Exodus and not enslavement, this is good news for us who love and follow God. There is a potter, and he has his hands on you. There is a potter who has authority over you, who is shaping you. The, the, the theme of your life isn't that you are struggling and suffering, but it will be that you are redeemed. This is good news because what Jesus did when he came, he came to save a people and to redeem a people. And what God is making in those who are, he's calling to himself is good. And so whatever kind of pressing down and reshaping might be happening, this is ultimately good and you will ultimately be glad about it. If the future you could come back and speak to the current you, the future you would say, hang in there. The potter is doing something good. You can't see it now, but you will one day, and you'll be glad. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we see your sovereign hand at work here in bringing your people out of slavery. And we make the connection of what Jesus has done in delivering us out of the bondage of sin and slavery and redeeming us to yourself. So would you help us to trust in you? Would you help us to see you as you are, Yahweh, that we wouldn't impose our ideas of you, but we would see you as the Bible uh, has, has revealed you to be. And may we follow you gladly. And when we struggle in the cloud of mystery, would you help us to see that you are indeed doing something good and that we might have confidence in you. And Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.